Hello, everyone. Welcome to Talking Logistics, where we have conversations with thought leaders and newsmakers in the supply chain logistics industry. And uh, you know, today's episode is part of a new and special series called Making a Difference, Supply Chains for a Better Tomorrow. So the current COVID-19 you know, pandemic is creating many supply chain you know, challenges for companies and organizations all around the world. But it's also creating and serving as a catalyst for change and innovation uh, out there. Um, so what supply chain capabilities will separate the leaders from the laggards, not only in response to the current challenges and needs that the COVID-19 crisis is presenting, but also to position themselves for success in the years to come? Well, that's really going to be the main focus of this series. And it's really my honor to welcome today's program, Blake Thompson, who is Chief Supply Chain Officer at Feeding America, Frank McQuiggan, who is Chief Executive Officer at Transplace, and Lee Robinson, who is Chief Human Resources Officer at Transplace, to share their insights and perspective on this topic and specifically how those, the two organizations are working together uh, around what's happening right now with, with COVID-19. So I uh, really appreciate all of them taking the time to be with us today. And uh, Blake, just to kind of dive right into it, uh, let's, let's get started with you. And you know, I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with you know, Feeding America in terms of yeah, your mission, um, but probably not that many know about your supply chain. So maybe to kick things off, why don't you please give us an overview of the organization as well as your supply chain? Thanks, Adrian. Yeah, we're um, Feeding America is the largest hunger relief organization in the United States. We've got 200 food banks in our federation, uh, 60,000 agencies, and our, our team feed, feeds over 40 million people that we serve a year, 4.4 billion meals served annually. And those are 2019 statistics, but um, we're a federation. So we are a, um, uh, each food bank operates independently from our federation. We support the members and our efforts. Um, our uh, programs that we support uh, the food bank federation with are around preventing food waste and, and, and uh, educating our, uh, the, the, uh, the public around food insecurity. Um, we have got a very strong government relations team that supports our efforts, both with policy and programs that support um, uh, those folks that have risk with food insecurity. And we've been helping families for over 40 years. We've been in existence for over 40 years, established in Chicago in 1979. By, by actually the membership uh, is where our, where our origins start with. You know, prior to COVID-19, uh, one out of every eight people in America were struggling with hunger, hunger. And you can imagine since COVID, the impacts on the population as it's impacted the economy, not only in the US, but across the world. And you can see the numbers of um, unemployment uh, uh, skyrocketing in the U.S. I think the last number I saw was 36 million unemployed in the U.S. I think when this all began, we were somewhere around three and a half million, somewhere in those, those numbers. So my team, uh, my team, my supply chain team is responsible for demand planning, the food sourcing uh, at a national level. So we manage the national food donor relationships, the Kroger's, Walmart's, um, ConAgra's, et cetera, on both sides of the retail, consumer-facing, and the manufacturing side. Uh, my team's responsible for 20% of the logistics that affect the network. So anything that we put 
any trucks we put under loads that we, we provide for the network, uh, we manage through our uh, Transplace system, TMS system. And then um, we were responsible for network data collection and reporting. So all of the information that flows through our food banks, we collect nationally and organize to do quarterly reporting from a, from a supply, demand, and uh, inventory level standpoint. Uh, my team's also responsible for an innovative technology tool called Meal Connect, and we'll talk a little bit about that later. But it's a digital cloud-based system that we've been supporting for four or five years that give us, gives us real-time access to food donations and connects those with real-time access to uh, recipients of those donations at all, all across the level. We had a recent um, modification we made to the system with COVID that allowed us to identify uh, rejected or loads that could not be accepted at retail distribution centers. And they connected those directly with food banks that took those loads of produce, protein items um, that could not be taken into the retail as their supply chains were disrupted and they were backing up at their, their, their uh, depot locations. So, and uh, my team is also responsible for food quality as well throughout the system and then food quality through the, through the entire food chain. Well, a, a lot of uh, a, a lot of responsibility there, and I think you know you, you kind of see the banner, you know, feeding America, and 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 like you mentioned, I mean, this was a food insecurity was a, a challenge and a problem, even during quote unquote good times. I can only you know, and obviously right now with all the unemployment, and everything going on right now, it's even a, a greater challenge. And just with the brief introduction, introduction there, you, all the behind the scenes uh, things that have to go on to make this operation successful. Uh, you know, it's, it's truly impressive. In many ways, it's almost, you know, analogous to what manufacturers and retailers and others, you know, have to go through to kind of, you know, make their operations uh, work. Um, just to quickly stay on, on this topic for, for a little bit more, I mean, uh, you know, the food industry, like so many others, has been significantly impacted by, by COVID-19. Um, you, you can't pick up the Wall Street Journal or turn on the news and, and see some kind of food-related story, whether it's people lining up for food or, you know, disruptions at the supermarket level and so forth. I mean, what challenges has it created, you know, for Feeding America and those you serve? So interesting that, you know, this has been the perfect storm. Um, these are unprecedented times, uh, clearly, not only in the food supply chain, but in the work that Feeding America does. And, um, you know, our food banks have reported increases in excess of 60% of need for food. Um, in, in that same context, we've been impacted with, because this is a pandemic, um, we've had to, our food banks have had to be creative in terms of distribution challenges. So going through agencies or typical distribution methodology to get food um, to the food recipients has all had to change. Uh, I think back 60 days ago when we were having, uh, you know, live conversations with our, our Seattle team, um, and they were the, one of the first hotspots that had issues with uh, agencies shutting down, with, with um, having to uh, put in place low-touch or no-touch types of distribution methodology and some of the changes that had to be made very quickly on the fly to support that network there. Um, you know, we've had agency closures as well. 20% of our food banks report agencies being closed. Uh, we've also had volunteer. Uh, issues with uh, we've got about 10% of our food banks that have um, not allowed 
volunteers into their food banks. That we typically get about two and a half million a year of volunteers through our system, uh, and that's to protect their um, uh, uh, in-service, uh, you know, critical service employees for for warehouse and logistics as well, and some of those areas that were hotspots in the U.S. So, you know, those have been some of the challenges we've had, and uh, in light of that, getting food has also been a very much of a challenge with the uh, the retail supply chain um, uh, in, in terms of uh, re, uh, the retail grocery sector that's been, been very disrupted, uh, very high demand. Uh, we've seen a decline in donations. Uh, retail food donations were our number one uh, food stream for donations annually, uh, as well as the manufacturing side. We're mostly dedicated to the retail. We've seen a 25% decline in total donations, 50% decline in those two categories. So not only have we seen an increase in demand, distribution challenges, but we've seen a decline in donations. So we've had to shift gears. Uh, we've had to quickly um, uh, leverage a lot of the money donations we've gotten in uh, with food purchasing, something that was probably about 5% of our food stream before. Now is about 20 to 25% of our food stream. Uh, uh, we've been very fortunate to get significant uh, food donations out of the food service industry. With their business declining, we've been able to leverage some of the um, uh, uh, perishable products uh, that they use. Their, their, their distribution sizes don't necessarily marry up well with ours, so we're not able to take all that food in and distribute it through our network, uh, but we've gotten some good donations through that, that group as well. Uh, we've also leaned into um, uh, government programs. There was a real robust trade mitigation TFAP program already baseline through the balance this year that's really helped uh, bridge some of the gap. And then recently, the, the, uh, the USDA has announced uh, some, some um, appropriations for additional TFAP programs. And we just started the CFAP program, which is a little bit different. It started uh, actually last week. We're beginning to see some food distributions out of that program as well that'll help offset some of the donation declines that we've seen. So, um, uh, you know, one of the challenges through this, this, this entire process is to ensure because the methodology for recovery and um, the different distribution methodology, we've had to ensure that our food safety uh, requirements are being adhered to throughout the supply chain. That's been very challenging. Um, and then uh, on top of that, it's impacted our uh, transportation and distribution uh, methodology. So we've had to be a little more flexible in terms of where supplies coming from, how we match up uh, freight uh, with those donors. Uh, Transplace has really been very helpful uh, in terms of working with our team to identify new opportunities and provide flexibility within our system uh, to um, uh, uh, to overall support our um, uh, expense uh, drivers within the transportation arena as well. Um, the other thing I wanted to call out pre-COVID, and I think we've seen that as well post-COVID in terms of the opportunity, and we'll talk a little bit more about that as we talk about the reinvention of our supply chain going forward, but it's pointed out our opportunity for distribution optimization. There was some work that Transplace did for us up in Northern California pre-COVID that really helped us take a hard look at opportunities within our network 
to improve what existed today with uh, distribution methodology enhancements uh, and optimizing a network uh, through collective food banks. And that's something I think for the future that um, could be very useful for us, uh, would be even more useful today with COVID. Uh, if we could expand in that, that territory today, it's very difficult with some of the changes going on with, uh, with the, the interruptions in supply chain today. Right, right. You know, as, as you were talking, you know, one of the things that we've, we've heard about for years has been the importance of flexibility, responsiveness, and agility in supply chain management. And I think what COVID has done is really put the spotlight uh, on that. And it sounds like from some of the examples you just gave there that, you know, being creative, being, you know, responsive and being agile in terms of changing processes, changing, um, you know, the way you've always done things, right? And to kind of respond as best you can to the challenges out there has been part of the, uh, you know, the process here. So, so Frank, let me, let me, uh, you know, go over to you now and, um, you know, talk a little bit about, you know, the relationship between TransPlace and, uh, you know, Feeding America. I know you, you've been working, you know, for, for a number of years together. Can, can you talk a little bit about how and why the two organizations started working together and sure. can you share some of the uh, specifics around how the two organizations are working together at this moment to address, you know, some of the challenges and needs that, you know, that, that Frank just, uh, that Blake just talked about. Yeah, from, from our standpoint, uh, first of all, uh, thank you, Blake. Um, and you can see, I mean, li listen to what Blake is talking about. It's, it's a classic case of supply chain disruption, right? 60, 50 to 60% uh, spike in demand on one side, a 50% supplier base shift on the other side. And how do you make that whole thing work for you in a matter of weeks? It's, it's an incredibly uh, challenging problem. From our standpoint, we started doing business with Feeding America in 2011. Um, yeah, coincidentally, our organization has actually tripled in size since that time. And as we have grown, we arrived at this point where how do we take all this tremendous activity we have with, you know, these 2,500 people across North America and focus it, you know, focus their willingness and want to do more in their community towards something at a greater, for a greater good. And not that all the work that was being done wasn't for the greater good, but we thought we got to the point where we could substantially support that financially and, and from a focus standpoint. And so we decided to formalize our partnership with uh, Feeding America and provide a significant amount of money and resources to them in their mission. Um, what do we actually do for them? We, we, we provide our logistics platform for them, which is our Azure Aware, Adrian. We have a, a, our control tower, our data analytics, our engineering and, and data science group, as well as the full TMS, which is uh, obviously, uh, you know, automated information exchange and optimization and complete shipment planning and execution. And so uh, we've been doing that for a number of years. And again, uh, um, we're trying to support the changing challenges in the Feeding American network. But in the last year, we've actually donated more than $200,000 uh, uh, to support this company. And we continue to want to do more from a resource standpoint to help kind of the shift in what Blake's talking about building and modeling a more efficient uh, uh, distribution network of the future. And, and we look forward to that. That's, that's great. And, and you know, uh, when you think about the, you know, being able to leverage technology, uh, leverage the human IP, you know, the, the talent that, that you bring to the table, and then just the know-how from the process, you know, standpoint. I think a lot of folks, you know, when you think about logistics, you tend, I, at least I 
historically tend to think about what well, manufacturing and retailers, but when you think right. about organizations such as Feeding America, uh, I mean, are the uh, are the challenges similar or different, Frank? Uh, you know, are there things that you, you learn yeah. from the the clients who serve in manufacturing and retail that you know apply you know nicely, or lessons learned that can be applied to something like what Feeding America is doing? No, I, I mean, if you, if you listen to how Blake described a supply chain, it is a classic. To me, it feels more like a classic retail supply chain in that they're, they're taking all these varied supply sources and they're trying to distribute that across a fixed network, fixed hub and spoke network in the most efficient uh, way possible. The supply base can change or does change. And, and, um, and how do you do that in a way that, that, that works and works really well? And, and so... How do we support that? Again, you, you have to engineer for success. You have to ultimately automate that and, and, and make sure that the information flow is going both, way between, both ways between two companies so we can kind of continue to dial in what network success looks like. But that's, that's how I see your supply chain, Blake. Uh, anything you would add to that? Yeah, no, I think you hit, you hit it on the head, Frank, in, in your interpretation. And, um, you know, this, these are... I, I've been around for a while in, in supply chain and never seen an interruption like this. And this has been certainly very challenging and we're a, we're a very complex supply chain and nimbleness and visibility are certainly top of mind in terms of, uh, you know, not only uh, improving on our base, but also if there's other interruptions down the road to be able to deal with those in a much, much more efficient way than we, we necessarily have with this. Absolutely, absolutely. So, Lee, let's let's bring it over to you and kind of bring this partnership down to kind of the the, the employee level, if you will. I mean, how, how does this partnership ultimately link to TransPlace employees, and and what is the the connection and, and impact for them? Yeah, absolutely. Um, our, I mean, our employees have been connected to Feeding America historically in a couple of different ways, more from an engagement and a community impact sort of way, right? So the things you'd think of, such as can food drives, volunteering at the um, local food banks, charitable giving, and those are really important things. And we've found that our employees feel more connected, they feel more engaged, they're helping you know, achieve in a small way Feeding America's mission of addressing hunger insufficiency. But what we've found more and more just broadly, right, this isn't TransPlace, I think this is broadly, is that people wanna know how their organization's purpose connects back, right? How does, how does the purpose and the mission of my organization connect to the community, connect um, to have some sort of societal impact, some sort of social sort of positive impact? And so as we've strengthened this relationship between TransPlace and Feeding America, we've seen our employees, their excitement, their engagement uptick as well. And one of the reasons that we, um, I think, have strengthened this partnership over the past year or two is because it's really such a unique combination. Because what we've learned from Blake and others at Feeding America, as he just spoke about, is Feeding America's mission and their need to address hunger insufficiency isn't exclusively a supply issue. It's an access issue, right? Access to food, access to the right food, to the right people when you need it. And so that's a huge supply chain logistics topic. And then if you think about our core competencies, you know, our purpose and mission at TransPlace, it, it directly connects, right? That's what we're all about. And so you sync those two things together. And I think our employees have realized it's amazing the sort of volunteering that we can do, but what we're doing as an organization 
in our purpose at TransPlace directly connects to what Feeding America needs to achieve their mission. And it's just a really special way, I think, that um, our employees are feeling and seeing and having a little bit more impact um, broader. Yeah, it's a great call out, Lee. Our, our employees view uh, the mission statement of Feeding America is completely aligned with uh, the mission of TransPlace. And so, so our employees feel 100% engaged in trying to support that mission of food insecurity. So it's, it's a very clean fit for us. You know, when you look at the, you know, the, the title of the ser series, you know, make, making a difference. I mean, part of that is, you know, I think a recognition, uh, Leah, of what you just talked about that, you know, I know in a lot of conversations I have with, uh, you know, logistics professionals, um, and particularly with, um, you know, the younger generations and those that are beginning to interview right now coming out of college or young professionals. I mean, one of the things they really look for is, you know, how can I make you know, they take a broader perspective, right? How can what I do as part of your company, you know, make a broader difference? Or what is your position right. on X, right? Whether it's, you know, uh, in support of, of, of hunger or whether it's support of the climate or whatever, you know, whatever is issues important to that employee uh, or prospective employee. Um, I mean, do you see that, you know, in terms of prospective employees that are coming in, in terms of looking at the culture of the company and, and what kind of giving back or making a difference they are, they're making, you know, in TransPlace's case, you know, what type of difference you're making from outside the four walls of the company? Yeah, we absolutely do. I think some of the most common questions we get, especially when we're on college campuses, but really almost all candidates, they want to know, obviously, about our culture, kind of your values, your ethics, your kind of your lifeblood, right? But also, what are you doing in the community? What's your sort of sustainability look like? What's your charitable giving? Um, we hear that a lot. So I, I think you're right, Adrian. It's such a, it, it's almost become um, a requirement, right? That people expect that your purpose and your purpose driven has broader reach outside of your own sort of four walls or your own sort of financial um, financial gain. Right. Great, great point. Well, Blake, let, let's bring it back to you now. And, and again, building off the theme of, of, of the series, I mean, what does building a smarter or a supply chain for a better tomorrow mean for Feeding America? In other words, I mean, what supply chain capabilities are either adding or strengthening, again, to not only help you navigate through this current crisis, but really to position you for success in the years to come? Well, there's, there's three areas that I would call out in this. And, and again, these are medium and longer term solutions. Um, uh, uh, increasing our technology capabilities is absolutely at the top of the list, number one. Um, Neil Connect has been a great tool for us over the last four or five years, and we've been able to receive some good uh, donation investment behind that system. Uh, you know, it's been very viable for uh, the crisis itself. Uh, we've been able to adapt some of its some of the tool to be more responsive to food recovery and placing that food in the hands of of um, food insecure folks more more quickly. Uh, but it's but it's only part of the solution. And uh, longer term, we need better inventory visibility, the connectivity of our food banks uh, on a common system and pipeline. Uh, we need better donor visibility. One of the largest areas of food recovery we have is. Uh, retail donations and um, having visibility to what is available, where it's available, and how to connect that back to the recipient uh, more just in time and, and more visibly. 
would certainly help significantly in terms of the quantity of food that we can recover on that side um, of our uh, of food channels. And then uh, we need deeper visibility um, into transactions, all transactions for freight. I think there's a tremendous opportunity for us to reduce our, our freight costs across the network with better visibility and better, a better um, uh, uh, analysis of that work. And then really the last area is, is, is really around agri-based food supplies. Um, as um, center of store donations have kind of diminished, manufacturing food processing or, or food manufacturing donations have diminished, we've really leaned into produce, protein, and dairy opportunities in the agri-system, building deeper relationships with not only the USDA but the industry, and then getting a ready pack size, because that's been some of the challenge for us, a ready pack size to distribute on arrival at food banks or in an agency would streamline that whole operation. That's one of the learnings through COVID. It's a little more expensive that way, but you, there are savings on the other side from a distribution standpoint. But there's been ready access to produce, protein and dairy products through this COVID response. We've got to set ourselves up better in the future to be able to handle perishable products throughout our, our supply chain network and, and on the Feeding America side. Well, a lot, a lot of great uh, ideas there and, and initiatives there for, for moving forward. And I, I can't help but, you know, that word that always comes up, better visibility, right? Better visibility, better connectivity, you know, with, with stakeholders. And I think that's something that uh, is a common truth or a common goal for companies just about in every, every single uh, industry. Uh, Frank, to, just to build a, upon that, you know, similar question. I mean, what, from your perspective, I mean, what supply chain capabilities will separate the leaders from the laggards in, in the months and years to come? No, I, I, listen, uh, from my standpoint, if you look, uh, we still believe in the fundamentals. You know, we do think that there are markets where you can survive as an organization by not being strict adherence, uh, not having strict adherence to the fundamentals. But ultimately, if you don't have a digitized, highly transparent supply chain working for you, then you're not going to be able to do the things that Blake and his team are doing right now, right? And, and they're not going to be able to deal with kind of very volatile shifts in either demand or supply. I think about, I think about and, and you know that we have a large CPG network here, Adrian, and, and if we weren't a highly digitized company, and, and I think you and I have talked about this before, we, we really execute $10 billion of freight with, with 4,000 people, right? We've had some of our customers had a 50% increase in demand in a week, right? And if you are a people-centric organization, which, you know, people are the culture, they're the visionary, they're the innovators, right? But if, if, if you are relying on people to get that done and as opposed to a digital framework, then you'd be in deep trouble, right? And so, we saw our company kind of spike like crazy uh, throughout March without, without any problems whatsoever. I'm really, really proud of that and, and, and what our company has been able to do. And so um, everything that you hear Blake say, our, our organization is working with shippers to provide those levels, uh, that level of digitization, that level of automation, that level of transparency in their networks to ultimately give them nimbleness and drive service and cost. That's the goal. That's the goal of the company. It's the goal of our people in the company. Yeah, that, that's a good, great comments there. And, and I was thinking, you know, we, we've been talking as, you know, industry analysts and you've seen in the press all the time about the importance of digital transformation, right? That's been our buzz term for the past, you know, few years. And I saw this great 
you know, cartoon a, a few weeks back that said, well, who, who approved your digital transformation, you know, project? Was it the CEO, the CIO, the CFO? And then the person says, no, it was the COVID, you know, the, the COVID, yeah. you know, which yeah. is, I think is, yeah. is, you know, put again, putting the spotlight on this, that if you're to, to borrow a, a line from Billy Bean, the general manager of the A's who presented a, at the food, uh, uh, Shippers of America conference back in February, he said, you know, you can't operate your business in 2020 like it's still 1999, right? And yeah. I think that's, uh, that's something that a lot of companies are, uh, that haven't been on that digital transformation journey that have been, you know, scaling through adding more people and more paper processes and so forth. Those are the ones that are going to be struggling the most right now. Those are the ones that are going to be very challenged to succeed, you know, moving, uh, moving forward. Um, you know, so as a way to wrap up, uh, you know, first of all, this has been a great, you know, conversation. So I appreciate uh, all your great comments and, and insights on, on this topic. Uh, so, but Blake, I'll, I'll end with you in, in terms of, uh, uh, you know, ways that people can help, you know, Feeding America right now. Can, can you share with us, you know, ways that people can help? So probably always the three best ways to help Feeding America is food donations, fund donations and volunteers. That's what we operate on. And um, get a hold of your local food bank, um, find out if there's volunteer op opportunities within that food bank. Um, those, those folks that have excess food or access to food, um, please surface that to uh, either local food banks or our organization, and we can help you with that. And always, you know, from a fund standpoint, uh, we've been very fortunate to have been highlighted you know, in the, in the, in the medias of recent have been successful in fundraising and we're converting all of that money to execution against raising more food for the, uh, the increase in food insecure population in the U S and just anecdotally, my granddaughter is a pre-K. She has one of her students that, uh, one of her, one of her, uh, colleagues that had started to raise $104 there's a magic to that number. I'm not sure exactly what it is, but $104 for Feeding America. And it was so successful on social media that she raised the total raise to $2,004. And she just hit that mark recently. So a, a pre-K was able to raise $2,004 for Feeding America. So they're going to present the check to Feeding America in the next next week or so. Well, that, 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 that's fantastic. And, uh, you know, we, we're also honored to support Feeding America uh, within our own company through our Indago uh, research community. Um, so if you're a supply chain logistics professionals for manufacturing, retail, or distribution, um, check out joinindago.com um, and you can uh, select Feeding America as one of the charities that we've uh, aligned ourselves with. You can select uh, Feeding America as a charity you want to support by participating in our Indago research community. Um, so again, I want to thank you, all three of you, for making the time to yeah, be with us you. today. So Blake, Frank, Lee, again, thank you for being with us today. Pleasure, Adrian. And I'd be remiss if I didn't say you could also get to the Feeding America donation through the Transplace website. And so if you're, if you're out, anybody's watching this and, and uh, wants to donate, come to our website, learn a lot about the industry, and, and, and donate to Feeding America. And thank, thank you, you, Transplace, for your partnership. So much appreciated. Thank you so much. Our pleasure, Blake. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Blake. Take care. Thanks, Adrian. Good seeing you. Great. Well, thank you. And if, you, uh, if you're watching this episode on demand, either at the Transplace website or on Talking Logistics, and you've got a question for any of our uh, participants today, you can post it there, and I'm sure they'll be more than happy to get back to you via that medium. Again, thank you for joining us and look forward to seeing you in a future episode of Talking Logistics. Have a great day. Thank you. Thank you.